0: for being here with the Voice of Leadership today. I've got a special treat for you. My guest today is someone who is an elite consultant to elite corporate executives and also mentor to other consultants working with the top organizations worldwide. And I'm delighted because he's been a mentor to me for many years and really is responsible in a lot of ways for many things that I do right as a consultant and also as a business leader. Today, we're going to be talking about Legacy Now, his upcoming book. So stay tuned for the whole episode. In the meantime, let me tell you a little bit about my guest. My guest is Dr. Alan Weiss, and he is one of those rare people who can say that he's a consultant, a speaker, and an author, and actually really mean it. His consulting firm, Summit Consulting Group, has attracted clients such as Merck, Hewlett Packard, General Electric, Mercedes Benz, State Street Corporation, Times Mirror Group, the Federal Reserve, the New York Times Corporation, Toyota, and over 500 other leading organizations. He served on the boards of directors of the Trinity Repertory Company, a Tony Award winning New England Regional Theater. Festival Ballet, and chaired the Newport International Film Festival. Alan's speaking typically includes 20 keynotes a year at major conferences, and he's been a visiting faculty member at many universities, I'll just name a few, Case Western Reserve University, Boston College, Tufts, St. John's, and UC Berkeley. He's also held an appointment as adjunct professor In the Graduate School of Business at the University of Rhode Island, where he's taught courses on advanced management and consulting skills. And he even holds the record for selling out the highest priced workshop on entrepreneurism. His PhD is in psychology, and he's also an inductee into the Professional Speaking Hall of Fame and the concurrent recipient of the National Speakers Association Council of Peers Award of Excellence. That means that he's represented in 1% of professional speakers in the world. He's been named also a Fellow of the Institute of Management Consultants. His prolific publishing includes over 500 articles, 60 books, including his bestseller, Million Dollar Consulting, and We're going to be talking today about the legacy book. His books have been on the curricula at Villanova, Temple University, Stanford, the Wharton School of Business, and they've been translated into 16 languages. Alan is regularly interviewed and quoted in the media. His career has taken him to 63 countries and 49 states, and rumor has it that he's afraid to go to North Dakota. Success Magazine has cited him in an editorial devoted to his work as a worldwide expert in executive education. The New York Post called him one of the most highly regarded independent consultants in America. He's the winner of the prestigious Axiom Award for Excellence in Audio Presentation. He is also the recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award of the American Press Institute the first ever for a non-journalist and one of only seven awarded in the 65-year history of the association. He holds an annual thought leadership conference, which draws world-famous experts as speakers. And in 2017, Dan Gilbert from Harvard, the distinguished professor who researches on happiness, was the guest speaker. He has coached former Miss Rhode Island Miss America candidates and interviewing skills. And just in case you think he wins at everything, he appeared on the popular American TV game show Jeopardy, where he lost badly in the first round to a dancing waiter from Iowa. Alan is married to the lovely Maria for more than 50 years. They have two children and two twin granddaughters. They reside in East Greenwich, Rhode Island, with their dogs Coco and Bentley, a white German shepherd. Wow, that's a lot. And I just want you to know that my guest today really is a distinguished individual that we want to spend some time with. Alan, thank you so much for being here with me today. I really appreciate
1: it. It's always a pleasure, Karen. Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Well, let me ask you, Alan, we've talked about this illustrious career that you've had over all of these years and decades as a consultant and a trusted advisor to top tier executives. Tell us a little bit about how is it that you've added value to your clients? Why do they listen to you? Why do they continue to engage you? And
1: in essence, what are some of the secrets of your success? Well, I I think that I regard anybody with whom I work as basically healthy. Uh, I don't think they have a problem. I don't think they're damaged. I treat them as adults. And uh, 97% of the time, I am rewarded in those beliefs. And what I found is that strong people like strong feedback. I don't work with weak people. I don't do remedial work. I work with strong people who are open to ideas and open to pushback. But what's amazing to me, and maybe to your listeners will be this, that the great preponderance of my coaching with these people has been validation work. They want validation that they're making good decisions, that they're performing well, that they're on top of their game because they don't trust the feedback from within. They understand that they're filtered, that people don't give them honest feedback necessarily. And they want somebody who has seen a variety of different organizations and different situations to tell them, yeah, you're doing really well. So uh, I think as uh, as concisely as I can describe it, that's the basis for my success. It's a trusting relationship with very intelligent people, and it's very honest, and it's short-lived. Uh, coaching should not go on forever or it becomes codependency. You know,
0: I really sort of uh, like what you were talking about, how that a lot of it is validation. People are making key decisions in tough situations, and they don't always have the kind of access, let's say, to ones that where they feel it's confidential, and also maybe not someone who directly reports to them. So your role in advising these people is significant in terms of giving them a sense that they have a place where they can talk.
1: Well, there's no rule book for life, and there's no rule book for senior leaders. Uh, and, and in any case that there were, you don't learn to ski by reading a book. You learn to ski or to ride a bike by doing it and getting feedback and experiencing it. Uh, and that's what bold leaders need to do, especially in these times. You don't have to have the answers. What you have to have is the courage. You have to have the, the curiosity uh, and the flashlight to lead people. And if you can do that, they'll follow you. But uh, you know, if you wanna hide behind a rock, it's not gonna be very effective. All right, so boldness and curiosity are some of the
0: qualities that are important right now, well, right now for leaders to be successful. What are some of the biggest issues that you see out there right now that leaders are facing and that
1: executives in particular have to address? Dealing with a new kind of organization, no strategy that was in place or effective pre-pandemic is going to be effective post-pandemic. If anybody thinks it is, they're crazy. I estimate that about 25% of every business will change. I don't mean 25% of businesses. 25% of every business will change. Consequently, the whole notion of looking years out and spending, you know, two months setting strategy is ridiculous. I invented a new strategic approach to accommodate this where you spend essentially a day looking one year out. And if you do that effectively these days, you're in good shape. So their problem is their organizations are changing. They have people who are remote, people on site, people who rotate, subcontractors, advisors, consultants. I I call this a porous, non-porous organization. And so how do you make the best use of all of this talent and all of these resources and how do you compete? counterintuitively, now is the best time to take risks. Now is the best time to take bold strides. And the thing that resonates with people that you might not believe right away is that volatility and disruption are not things to defend against. They are offensive weapons. And I counsel people to use volatility and disruption to their benefit.
0: Yeah, in fact, um, Alan, one of the things I'd say about you is that you've have the ability to take any situation and any scenario and to use it for an advantage. And so one of the things I wanted to ask you about, I know your pathway forward wasn't just a straight line function either. You've had some rough spots along the way. And in fact, one time in your career, you were actually fired. So how did you deal with that even when you got fired? not necessarily seeing it as a setback, but maybe how you use it as a launching
1: pad and the rocket fuel to even go further. You know, somebody said once that uh, people who are highly successful usually have about four pivotal moments in their, in their lives. And I've come to believe that. And one of mine was getting fired. And, uh, you know, I was fired in, uh, in the late 80s. I was president of a consulting firm, which is why I came to Rhode Island. Uh, and when you get fired, you either get angry or distraught. And I got very angry. And I said, no moron will ever fire me again. I will not work for anyone else ever. I will win on my own or lose on my own. And so I took a look around. You know, there were about 250,000 independent consultants in the U.S. at the time. And uh, I said, how do I stand out in a crowd here? And I asked myself, what am I good at? I didn't say, what do I have to correct? What do I have to fix? What am I good at? Well, I could write and speak. You know, I was a lousy networker. People bored me. Small talk bores me but I could write and speak. So I wrote and I spoke, I wrote and I spoke. Uh, I speak for free, I wrote for free. I started publishing books, I started speaking at conferences and I called everyone I knew and I told them what I was doing. I started to get work. And then as you mentioned earlier, a Merck called me and said, uh, you might be the right guy for this. And at that point, you know, Merck was uh, in five years of the most admired company in America, according to the Fortune Magazine poll. And so once I started working for Merck and the Federal Reserve and J.P. Morgan Chase and Hewlett Packard and so forth, that was it. I mean, everybody wanted me uh, because those companies were doing so good at the time. So if I was good enough for them, you know, Mercedes-Benz. And so that's what happened. But, you know, the same advice obtains today. Find what you're really good at and exploit it. The problem with most self-help books is they assume the reader is damaged. Find what you're good at and that's what you invest in. So, Alan, that might be
0: a nice segue into my next question, which is there are people today who are also losing businesses, losing jobs, and so on in this pandemic situation that we've been in. You mentioned before how important it is to be bold, how to be curious in this business climate. If you were losing a job today or your company was you know, ending for whatever reason, what would you do?
1: how would you continue to be successful? What, what would you say to people today? If I were going out on my own today, if I was starting my own uh, consulting business today, what I would do is I would find three or four key things that every organization needed to do to improve immediately. Let me give you an example so it's not just theoretical. Okay. It seems to me that if you look around, sales is dead. I mean, the concept of selling is dead. In the old days, uh, people would uh, sell you something, they controlled the information, they would parcel out the information, whether it was a car, refrigerator, insurance policy. Today, everybody knows. Everybody's educated because of the internet. So I know what the car costs to the dealer. I know what the insurance policy costs. I can compare it to others. I know how much it costs to build a refrigerator. Today, what we have to do is enable the buyer to buy. And sales today are about evangelism. They're about peer-to-peer reference. Just like somebody says to you, can you name a good lawyer and you do somebody a favor and you give them the name of a good lawyer you respect. That's what people are doing all over the place. And so I would go out with information like that and say to any kind of company, you need in these crazy times, you need to change your view towards your customer. You have to enable your customer to buy and then you want them to evangelize your business. Now, let's talk about how I can help you do that. And I would pick four or five things like that, so things that nobody else is talking about and as you know, you know, I started by being very contrarian. Yes. Uh, and I would, that's what I would do. I would shake the
0: place up. Okay, great. So, I mean, you're talking about how to be distinctive. And I know in your brand, you've certainly been distinctive by being a contrarian. Also, you're talking about bringing something that's needed today that most people aren't doing. So that curiosity is important and being able to look under some rocks and find out what that advantage might be.
1: That's right. And the more generic it is, the more effective you are, because that's how many more buyers you appeal to. This notion about specializing is crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Why get into some narrow niche? So you should appeal to as many possible buyers as you can, and then you pick out of this huge net the kind of fish that you need. Okay.
0: That makes sense. So you've said some things already about what I would constitute a success mindset. What else would you say is important in a success mindset? So that no matter what the economy is doing, no matter what's going on out there,
1: the individual leader can be effective and successful. Well, you know, about a decade ago, a positive psychology really came to the fore. And people like Marty Seligman at University of Pennsylvania wrote learned optimism and so on. And I think one of the first things is that you have to uh, use correct self-talk. Uh, You can't tell yourself that um, you're lousy, this is a challenge, you can't write, I can't do this. What you have to tell yourself is, this is going to be fun, I've never done it before. I'm getting better and better at this. And allied with that positive self-talk is we have to isolate negatives and generalize positives. So for example, if you fail to make a sale, you don't say I'm a lousy marketer. What you say is, on this day, at this time, with this person, I failed to make a sale. If you do get the sale, you don't say, gee, I got lucky with this person. You say, I'm a great marketer. And if you think about it, Karen, the way people treat their kids, is very dangerous because you know, if your kid makes an error in an athletic contest, you don't say to the kid, you know, you're really an awkward athlete. You say to the kid, nobody could have made that kick. It was very difficult, nobody could have made it. If the kid does make the kick, you don't say, hey, you were lucky, you say, you're becoming a great athlete. You know, you don't say you were lucky on a history test. You say you're becoming a good scholar. So you generalize success and you isolate non-success. Yeah, I love that. I love the whole notion of
0: focusing on what you're doing well, focusing on the strengths, and to remind yourself that you're constantly improving, constantly getting better at whatever it is that you're working on. So, Alan, having this career where you are speaking so often to corporate executives, what prompted you to start also mentoring other consultants
1: well i i really got weary of um the corporate environment for a couple of reasons i mean one is they had these these demands that you be on site and present and you know i could educate a lot of them that my value wasn't in my presence my value was in my advice but there were political and cultural connotations and you had to be at certain places and I i wanted to get home you know And so I wanted more freedom. I mean, if you think about it today, people aren't really motivated by money. The absence of money demotivates people, but people are motivated by agency. They're motivated by latitude of action. And so consequently, I was sort of a forerunner that. I wanted my freedom. And I found that I could have much higher impact on people individually than in corporations, uh, even though the corporate check would be much bigger. I then found to my surprise that there was a huge retail market uh, that people were willing to invest in themselves and that I could write the rules and I could determine how I mentored people, how I coach people, what events I put on, what experiences I took on. And so uh, I retained a few corporate clients and basically older clients who I chose to continue to honor my relationship with. But uh, you know, I developed the strongest independent consulting brand in the world. I've written more books on consulting than anyone ever. And Million Dollar Consulting, which you talked about before, I'm working on the sixth edition. It'll come out next year. That's 30 consecutive years on the shelves. It's unheard of stuff. So I, I found, you know, where I want to be. I love that finding
0: where you want it to be, because that leads me to your current book that you're coming out with now called legacy now. And one of the sort of bylines with, with that life is not a search for meaning from others it's about the creation of meaning for yourself. And that's really what you're talking about now, that agency and creating meaning for yourself. So why this book? What prompted you to write Legacy at this time?
1: Well, you know, I started to move away from consulting itself and more toward professional services, practitioners, and entrepreneurs. And Then, you know, I talked about how you could charge for your value. But then I asked myself why people weren't doing that. and I realized it was an esteem problem. And then I said, why don't people have higher esteem? And I felt that they were fearful. And so my last book uh, earlier this year was Fearless Leadership. And then I said, well, how do we take a positive now and look at the future? And I felt that people were not accurately sensitive to the fact that every day they're writing another page in the book of their lives. Sometimes the page was blank. Sometimes someone else wrote it. Sometimes it was the same page as the day before. So if you seize that, and you make each day a learning day, a new day, a growth day, then you're creating legacy. You're creating meaning. You know, people think legacy occurs when you die. It doesn't. It's occurring every day. And if you're cognizant of that fact, you can get much better at it. And the more that you help people, the more that you help others, you know, the oxygen mask kind of principle, put that on yourself first, the better off you are because the the, the more you can learn. So Ironically, we need this sort of healthy selfishness. I have to help myself in order to really help others. And to help myself, I need to understand why I'm here, what I'm doing. And when I ask people, who do you want to be next year? They invariably tell me what they want to be doing. And I said, that's not what I asked you. And when I say, who do you want to be? Most people have to sit back for a few minutes and think about that. Well, it's something to think about, especially if every day is
0: a learning day. You can add to that every day by what you are learning. So, Alan, tell us a little bit in your case, what would you say are some of your key points of legacy? What have you created? What are you offering to the world that you would say that's a key part of who you are and your legacy?
1: Well, I hope what I've helped to create with people globally uh, is the fact that they shouldn't be ashamed of or fearful of living a good life. That if you live a good life, you can be charitable and philanthropic and contribute to others uh, while fulfilling yourself. They're not mutually exclusive. In fact, they're very synergistic. I hope I've shown others that we don't know anything near what we think we know. We don't even know what's living at the bottom of the ocean. Uh, We certainly don't know what's happening up there in the stars and cosmos. And uh, we need to stop using technology as an excuse to order the universe. The fact is we need to admit we just don't know. Uh, One time someone asked Einstein, listen, you've got these universal laws about gravity and the speed of light and that gravity can bend light. He says, those are universal laws. What else is there to know? And Einstein said, but who made the laws? So there's a stroke of both genius and humility in one man that I think is brilliant. And uh, I think for all of us, we have to be unafraid to admit what we don't know and be comfortable in pursuit of it and what it means for us. Okay, that's great. That's
0: spoken like a true learner who's not afraid to admit any frailties or foibles or lack of knowledge, because you can always continue to grow. You can always continue to learn. And in fact, hopefully we all do, or we're not here on the planet anymore if we stop. I know you've been married to your wife, Maria, who's smart and beautiful for more than 50 years. That in and of itself is a legacy of sorts. (laughs) When you think about it, a lot of leaders, there's often a compromise in their personal life because they're almost sacrificing the personal on the altar of work. So tell us a little bit about what are the secrets to success? Being married more than 50 years, that puts you in a unique group nowadays. Very few people are making it that far anymore.
1: Yeah, unfortunately, that's true. You know, we don't have the kind of intact families we used to have. Uh, we have too many children who are born out of wedlock. Uh, I think that, um, you know, one of the secrets to being married a long time is forgiveness. Uh, the fact is there are going to be ups and downs, and you rejoice in the ups, and you, you make the best of the downs, but it has got to be forgiveness. You can't hold grudges. You know, one of the most effective sort of approaches I've learned is that when something happens that's annoying or irritating, you ask yourself, did she do that to annoy me? or Was she unaware that that annoys me? You know, she didn't take the TV remote control to hide it from me. She just put it in a different place. Exactly. So, you know, you have to get along with those things. You know, I was sitting with a, two other couples once, not long, ago, well, not long ago, and all of us were married at least 40 years. And for, for three couples to be sitting like that, it was just terribly unusual. Uh, it's too easy to break unions today. It, it's, it, people don't take a sufficient accountability because it's too easy to break things up. And I think one of the problems we have is that the values that used to be instilled at the family dinner table, by churches, by schools, are no longer there. And so people get into the workforce, they become adults, really without a sound foundation in what the social values should be to make you successful.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. You know, the whole idea that just being committed to something and being willing to ride through all the different waves, the ups and the downs, and recognizing that even if today is a down day, that doesn't define the whole relationship or even what's going to happen tomorrow. So Ellen, in your book, tell me about who should read this book and what are they going to get out of it? How will it inform their lives
1: and help them? Well, I I wrote it for both corporate leaders and for entrepreneurs, because entrepreneurs are leading their own lives, they're leading their own practice. And also for people who aspire to leadership positions. Not everyone does, and no should they. But what I wanted to tell people in this book is that you have to be courageous. And I, you know, I mean courageous advisedly. You know, my father was a paratrooper in the in the Second World War. He jumped into New Guinea to defend Australia with people shooting at him as a paratrooper. You know, nobody's shooting at us. Uh, I've never walked into a buyer's office and faced a gun. I've never walked into a buyer's office and walked out poorer than what I went in. You know? I might have been rejected, but nobody took anything from me. So we need some perspective there. And I wanted to say to people that there's, fearlessness is not a gamble. Uh, fearlessness is not rash. We fear too many things, and I talk about this in the book, that are both covert and not obvious. Uh, they are uh, tacit and um, also uh, very much in, in our eyesight. In other words, uh, some things we see and some things we don't see, overt and covert. So you can't fear the unknown. Uh, my son used to say to me at, uh, when he was younger, he didn't want to go into the, the funhouse, it was dark. And I said, well, look, you can't be afraid of the dark. He said, I'm not afraid of the dark. I said, well, then why don't you go in? He said, I'm afraid of what might be in the dark. <laughs> We can't be afraid of what's in the dark, you know?
0: It's all part of creating the legacy, going in there, finding out what's in the dark <laughs> and shining some light on it, as a matter of fact. Who knows what you'll find? Exactly. And who knows what you might be able to do with what you find either, which is another aspect. So, Alan, as you think back over your life, what is something that you wish you had known earlier? And if you had known it earlier, it might have changed some trajectories or choices that you might have made?
1: Well, you know, I don't regret a whole lot, but I will say that uh, I wish I had known much earlier that I didn't have to so forcefully try to impress myself on people. You know, I was born poor and I was an outlier in, in the, you know, in, an Italian Catholic neighborhood. And I thought that I, had, well, what I did was I overcompensated for this and I became very aggressive. And, you know, one of the great strengths I've always have is I have a, a very strong, verbal skills. And so I'd walk into a room and metaphorically shoot everybody and say, okay, let's do it my way. And I, I got a lot of uh, victories that way, but I didn't get a whole lot of people who liked me. So, uh, you know, it took me a long time to calm down and realize I didn't need to do that anymore. Exactly. Well, that's a good realization to come to, as a matter of fact.
0: So Alan, thinking back over your life uh, too, and thinking of today, what
1: are you really grateful for and thankful for? Well, I'm very grateful for uh, having met Maria uh, when I was you know, in high school or we high school sweethearts. Uh, I'm grateful that my kids and grandchildren are healthy and well. I'm glad that uh, I'm healthy and that um, I have the ability uh, to continue to try to help people. And I'm grateful for the fact that um, I had a liberal arts education and a great school in Rutgers. Uh, and so I was forced into a diversity of learning and a diverse campus. Uh, and today, uh, people don't understand history and they don't understand geography. They don't know where we've been or what's around us. And that's why we have some of this nonsense today. And finally, I'm really thankful for the fact that I've been able to travel. You know, you mentioned 63 countries before. I don't know how many more people are going to be able to do that at this rate. Mm,
0: yeah. So it's a good thing you've gotten a lot of that in already. I hope that things open up so you can also get to North Dakota, too. <laughs> no,
1: have you ever seen Fargo? I'm not doing it.
0: Listen, Alan, uh, don't be afraid of what's in the dark, okay? (laughs) I'm afraid of what's in the light, (laughs) Yeah, I want you to have some curiosity about North Dakota, then you can tell me what you find there. (laughs) But anyway, what else, Alan, do you think is important to to mention in terms of like what's next for you? And and what else haven't you said, because
1: I haven't asked you about it, but you think it's important to mention? Well, I'm looking for more and more uh, diverse ways to coach people. I call it crisis coaching because it was brought on by having to go remote. And so I started a special one-on-one coaching program. Now in November, I'm starting a group coaching program. I'm going to start more and more uh, remote workshops. I invented, I mentioned before, this new strategic approach. And so I want to try to continue to create uh, learning opportunities for people that enable them to grow and to prosper no matter what is going on around them to be lighter on their feet and more agile. Because, you know, volatility will continue and there'll be another crisis years ahead. You know, but we can't stick our head in the sand. We, We can't just point fingers and try to blame people. You know, when you boil it all away, Karen, the point is that whatever happens, what really matters is what we do about it.
0: Absolutely, and you're always creating something new, which is one of the things over the years I've always admired about you. Like I said, no matter what the circumstances are, conditions out there, you can always create something new. So Alan, in just our final moments, what what words of wisdom do you want to leave for the executive business leaders who are in my community and who are listening today?
1: Uh, I guess I would say this, uh, be bold. Failure is never final. Uh, It's just another step in the learning process. And if you're not failing, you're not trying. So be bold, be innovative, give it your best shot. As long as you've done your best, there's nothing to be ashamed of. But if you just sit back and wait for others to do it and see if you can follow them, that you should be ashamed of.
0: Yeah, you're not on the front lines and you're not creating your own life, so to speak. At that point, you're missing an opportunity for agency. So Alan, how can people get in touch with you, find out what your
1: up to, get the book, where would you like for them to reach out? Well, the best is my website, alanweiss.com. alanweis There are free uh, newsletters, free podcasts, free videos, free audio. It's a wealth of free stuff. Uh, they can also find out what I'm uh, putting on, what I'm hosting, where I'm going to be, either real or virtually. Uh, so that's the best place to start. I have a blog that I post on every day. Uh, I'm on social media, on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. You're welcome to join me. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really easy to get to know. Excellent. All right. So, Alan, thank
0: you so much for being with me today and for being my guest.
1: Thanks for inviting me, Karen.
0: You're welcome. And to the Voice of Leadership audience out there, I just want to highlight and say to you from our guest, Alan Weiss, today, I we just want to recap a couple of things he said. Your legacy begins now Today, Because each day is a new day for learning. And if you step into it with boldness and with curiosity and with innovation, you will be living the best life you want to live today and every other day. So go forward, live your legacy, have a great time, and we'll see you next time. As an executive business leader, you have many difficult decisions to make every single day. And it's important to think about how do you develop your people? How do you launch and develop high performance teams? And how do you create a culture that wins every time? If you would like to take a look at your organization and to talk about the wisdom and guidance that would propel you to create a best place to work, and also competitive advantage, then I invite you to apply for a consultation to work with me. Go to my website, www.transleadership.com, go to the services page, and under organizational consultation, you will see a tab that says contact us. That's where you request a consultation. So if you are an executive business leader in a medium to large size company, then I look forward to receiving your application and having a conversation with you. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me,